you're tuned in to Positively Terrible. I'm producer Dan, and each week my buddy Scott and I discuss surviving and thriving after trauma. It's a journey that started when Scott, his wife's fiance, and her boyfriend walked into a bar. This week's decent human being is Mike. He's got a fucked up story about the chaotic nature of a teenage cancer diagnosis. Settle in, my terrible listeners. Today's episode is going to be positively terrible. Hey, Mike. Hey, Scott. Hello. Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing great. Awesome. Welcome to the studio, Mike. Thank you. This is not the studio as promised, but it's the studio that I'll accept. <laughs> <laughs> not, not the one you wanted, but maybe the one you needed. We'll take it. Hey, we've got a table. We're sitting around the table. We are at Scott's terrible studio this time. It's the first time we've recorded here. Dan brought the new gear. Everything seems like it's working okay. Got the buzz taken care of. Yeah, Dan brought the new gear, and the new gear is not what we're using. We're using the old backup gear. Oh, okay. And okay. that's why we bring backups. <laughs> so we know what we are doing. We are not the amateurs that this podcast will most likely sound like we are. This like, podcast is going to suck. I right? feel like I'm the old backup guest. Like. Uh, you, oh, well, tell us more about how you feel. Sort of. Uh, I mean, so obviously the reason I chose to want to meet in person and make things more complicated is because I just miss having the chance to sit down and have coffee with you guys and just talk to you. So Sure. Well, thanks for showing up with, with no coffee for me, but that, that's okay. Well, well, it's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> we all made our coffee at home and brought it, Scott. Here we yeah. are at your house. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get to the housekeeping here. <laughs> Thanks for today. making us coffee. Uh, appreciate you guys coming by and recording today. Uh, but real quickly, just want to get to some things out of the way. Uh, a reminder for our terrible listeners that if you want to be on the podcast in future episodes, we are booking shows right now. Our email address is podcast at positivelyterrible.com. And you can hit us on our social media. We're at uh, Positively Terrible on Facebook and Instagram. So go ahead and send us a message if you are interested in being on. I uh, also wanted to just really quickly mention that we got a really cool email this morning from one of our listeners that touched on a lot of topics that we talk about. Uh, trauma, of course, but cancer and uh, sobriety and uh, death and divorce relationships. And it was you know, to, to get that just a few minutes before we start recording really has me on kind of a high right now. And I just wanted to remind people that, you know, we're, we're doing this to help people out, let people feel and remember they're not alone. And by you contacting us, um, first, thank you to the listener, but to anyone in the future who wants to help us help our listeners, uh, we'd love to have you on the show. You know, we've got uh, a handful lined up but we're always looking for more and like subscribe and review <laughs> all of that stuff. So Mike, welcome to the podcast for the first time. Uh, thanks for coming. Um, Several years in the making. We've been trying to make this happen for a while. Uh, this actually is not my first podcast with Scott actually. So I don't tell, tell me about how you guys excluded. I, me. <laughs> I, I don't remember even why I was invited, but it was a Chicago bears, uh, podcast that scott did out of a 
a strange little podcast <laughs> hut uh where they like it was like they rented space for people to do podcasts. yeah it, well no it was you you see everybody downplays the studios this was a window front studio at six corners at Ordage park and we were able to broadcast and have our fans walk outside the windows and then the person who was responsible for that because it was internet radio slash podcast so we would broadcast live on the air but then we'd release it as a podcast oh nice and this was back when i had that sports blog back in the this day this was many years ago yeah 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 and i am not even that huge of a bears fan i think i was brought in for like some kind of comic relief <laughs> yeah and, and i'm not even that funny so. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that good of a podcast it wasn't it, that good it, of a <laughs> there were less than dozen listeners i'd say well Football, the Bears were not my big thing. I was more of the baseball guy. It was a it was a general sports podcast, yeah. but I'm sure time of year had something to do with the fact that we were talking about the Bears. That podcast is resting in peace and will continue <laughs> to rest in peace. And I'm sorry you brought that up today. Sorry, well, no cross promotion there. I'm sure I'll need to talk about the trauma of the Chicago Bears in a couple of months. Yeah, so. that's uh, that's a whole nother topic. Yeah, I don't know why we are still Bears fans. Well, I, I don't know that I am, but I, I'm not here to talk. Talk about that, <laughs> that team. as well. Can I actually, so as a, a, a listener, and I, I was the first listener, like when, as soon as Scott told me this was out, I was like, okay, yeah. I'm going to go listen. And I was just so impressed, which was not my like, okay, let's see what Scott's got going on. <laughs> it's not what I was going for. And I was like, holy shit, Scott is a really good storyteller. And uh, well, thank you. And he, his, ability to share something so vulnerable in public uh was like okay if you guys want me come on i would be happy to do it because that felt that i had the um you know the i think your story gives other people strength to say okay well i could actually talk about things that were tough and i don't think that i've actually ever talked to anybody about uh my story to the degree that which you went over your story so um it brought me to two questions well mm. i have two questions one one of this is related one is not okay the t-shirts that you guys are selling are you need a fucking therapist now, well, get a fucking therapist get a fucking therapist okay yeah. we can edit that um <laughs> and i'm curious is it to the listener as like they should get a therapist or is like your podcast, the ability of like acting out therapy. No, <laughs> this podcast is not therapy. Do not construe it for therapy. Well, I feel like it's therapeutic okay, to talk about those. Therapeutic to talk about. Well, we now need a disclaimer, though. Right. Disclaimer this is not therapy. Um, uh, I, I believe in an episode recently uh, that was said, maybe that was, that was episode three. I'm Two not sure. Three. Go back and listen. But uh, like and subscribe. Um, the genesis of that is my life is better. I I, I came up with the shirt. Scott yeah. does everything else here. I came up with the shirt. Um, and I think the genesis of that is that I feel that my life has improved mm. tremendously with the help of a therapist. And I would encourage everyone who wears my who 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 views me while wearing a T-shirt to also acquire themselves a therapist. Yeah, we're certainly not therapists. And I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that anyone who purchases that shirt themselves 
already has a therapist, so we're not trying to encourage them. What we're trying to do with the, the show, so forget about the shirts. I, I don't want to go down the road of what Don't we're... forget about the shirts. You can get them right there at PositivelyTerrible.com. <laughs> well, that's what I going to say. I, 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 I'm not sitting here trying to sell you something, but go ahead, you can... Uh, <laughs> um, but overall, our podcast wants... I mean, Dan and I strongly believe in therapy. We think that it does a lot of good in your lives. Not everyone necessarily needs a therapist, but most people, in my opinion, at... Well, everybody at some point in their lives probably needs therapy and my reason for stating that was i felt like just the act of telling your story is therapy and and you do that with a therapist obviously but i'm i was curious if there was like a double meaning like you said let let people explore their own thing yeah and it's it's Uh, cathartic for me to tell the story but for people it's that listen to these stories it's to help them know that they're not alone since i've started telling my story i am up to six people including myself um Three of them, three or four in my direct network who have responded with stories about their significant other's double life. Mm. And those are stories that I had never heard before. And quite frankly, talking to people every day um, about trauma and doing it on the show, people are telling me a lot. And people who I know and have known for years have shared stories with me that I've never had shared. I think that the first thing that we want people to do is to know that you shouldn't be ashamed. Shame is one of the biggest, um, the most toxic feelings that you can get. And everybody has some. And when everything went down with me, there was shame. I did nothing wrong, but there was shame. And I didn't want to talk about it. I needed to talk about it. And yeah, I, and I think it's your, I don't know if it's your responsibility necessary, but your ability to help others once you've mm-hmm. been through something and feel like you can share uh, methods that led you into a better direction is, sure. is is part of kind of the responsibility of surviving trauma in some degree. Sure. So, Mike, every time you listen, you, you, you were just singing our praises, but you like to send me a text that say, I'm 14 minutes in and I don't know what this podcast is about. So, yeah, that's, that's where I was going to go, too. <laughs> Uh, I came here to just clarify some questions that listeners have. One thing, so I'm just keep me on track here before I go to that. Uh, well, we I, are currently 14 minutes. In, I was going to say I'm doing. I don't the know thing what this podcast is about right because now. I think that yes. Yeah, so you're right that we're I'm doing so exactly what I preach against. But the one thing I wanted to ask before too <laughs> that other listeners probably want to know, and if I missed it, I apologize. I cannot figure out what the opening theme song is for you guys, and I tried to Shazam it, <laughs> and Shazam had nothing. Oh, it told me. great. I, I thank you for asking that question. So this song is a song did that— Did you guys pre-plan that? I, I did not. Nice. I swear to God. And I've, like, I've listened to lyrics, and I'm like, I think this is really cool, and I can't find it. This is a song I had commissioned by a writer. Uh, his name is Rob. He goes by Rob Taxpayer, and he is from the band The Taxpayers. Um, it's a band that my ex and I listened to and is one of my favorite bands. Actually, probably of the bands I have not had the opportunity to see live, that's the one that's like, man, I want to see these guys. But about five years ago, it was 2018, and I saw that he posted on Facebook that he would write songs for people. So that song is actually called The Spree. It is about me meeting my ex-wife, and it's our story. Hmm. So met you back at Tonica Fest. Tonica is where I grew up. Tonica Fest is where we met. I gave, offered you a spree. You declined. That literally happened. So I 
had, spree the candy. Well, now it's I feel like candy. an idiot typing in like squirted you in the face with a water gun <laughs> lyrics and then just getting nothing. Well, we're how, gonna, much, how much time do you think you spent looking for that I, song? I mean, I, I'm not kidding. Shazam put four different songs that it thought it was. And I went through all the lyrics and like, <laughs> this is not the right song. Well, we have gotten that question a lot. And it's something that I have wanted to tell that story. So thank you for teeing it we're up We're roping it me. back in here. All right. But we're now at 16 minutes. That song will be available for download on our Patreon yeah. in the near future. Yeah, we're getting our Patreon banners all set up. And probably within the next week, I'll be able to get that out there. Um, but Mike, you are here today. The intro said to talk a little bit about the chaotic nature of being diagnosed with cancer as a teen uh so how old were you when you were diagnosed with cancer so i was 18 and what type was it uh acute lymphoblastic leukemia was the eventual clinical diagnosis okay. originally they said uh non-hodgkin's lymphoma and really the differentiator between the two is when it's uh in found in your bone marrow so a bone marrow biopsy uh revealed that there were cancerous cells, which makes it leukemia. Got it. In the bone marrow. Yes, Got exactly. It. So once you have the, yeah, that that's what the differentiator. So um, I, I assume that's not good news as a differentiator. Uh, or is it not? I mean, so yeah, it's a, I think it's a, a uh, there's, there's a different variants of, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and lymphomas and, and leukemias. But I think leukemia, the big difference when it's involved in the bone marrow is more often than not uh, a bone marrow transplant is likely the outcome. And I don't know if this stuff is still the same today, and I don't know the same okay. things happened then. This was uh, in the year 2000. Um, so this was a long time ago. Okay, and so why... Why did you get tested? I mean, what was going on in your life that made so, you think you, that something was wrong? Yeah, and so I'd say that all my senior year, when I was 18, I felt not well. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of things that I thought about, like, might be contributing factors, like uh, bad decisions on, you know, drinking or smoking cigarettes or, like, just like God punishing me for bad decisions. This is the Catholic guilt mm -hmm. chiming in there. Sure. Um, and what kind of kid were you? What kind of kid? Yeah. Like uh, I felt like I was goofy uh, still <laughs> to some degree, uh, but I also like thought I was really cool, but mm -hmm. um, probably was trying too hard to be cool. In social outgoing, uh, you had regular very class clowny, like distractible, uh, yeah, like okay. trying to uh, be friends with girls and thought that that would actually help me have a relationship with them, and then to some degree, <laughs> it did not help. Like, <laughs> didn't understand the whole friend zone thing. Okay, uh, but I, I hung out with like a, a crew that was, I think, uh, trying to uh, be more advanced than our age were in terms of in Kentucky that seemed to happen uh, sooner than a lot of people mm. that I later discussed in life in terms of like drinking was, you know, I felt like I was a, a well uh, seasoned drinker by the time I was in a senior in high school. Sure. Um, where some people don't start till college. Was, but yeah. was that pretty common in your high school? Very. Okay. Yes. Very. I would say, yeah, most people were starting to drink freshman year in high yeah. school, sophomore year in high school. 
Okay. And, and it was pretty similar in, in mine as well. I didn't start until I was like in college myself. So I just felt kind of crummy to some degree, but, um, and part of that was also that I, I was taking Accutane. What's that for? Accutane is a, a very controversial, I don't even know if it's still prescribed. Maybe it is, uh, but man, I have to sign a waiver, but it's like a very controversial acne medication. Okay. Um, and there was later on after my diagnosis where they said that Accutane might have actually slowed down the development of my cancer, which okay. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it made it more elongated because acute lymphoblastic leukemia is very aggressive and very quick. And this might have like delayed that or made things slower in terms of its growth. I don't understand the the medical aspect of that, but it was a t I felt like it was a tough year and um, I lasted literally a week in college before and I would go to the I'd go to the health clinic every day. Like, cause something is wrong. We have mm -hmm. to get tested. I'd go. Um, so what were they saying? No, I, I got misdiagnosed so many times. They were like, Hey, you probably should try a different shampoo because I had these like half size golf ball nodules on my head. Like, Oh, try this, uh, different Neutrogena shampoo. And, uh, nobody thought to biopsy it or, or take blood. And so I would continually go back at different medications. And I think like one of the tipping points was I was playing tennis and I got stung by a bee and my, my forearm swelled up like a baseball. Wow. And it's just cause my immune system was so shot by that point. So eventually, uh, I got the bright person at my college that decided, Hey, let's biopsy that, send it into the lab. Turns out I had stage four acute lymphoplastic leukemia. X-rays would then show that I had an eight-inch tumor affixed to my lungs uh, and heart uh, inside, my mediastinal tumor. Uh, and then all the rest was just the lymph nodes from the blood. Okay. Uh, so it wasn't actually like I had tumors in my head or anything. It was all just blood. All right. So you're, you're in your first year of college. And first year of college. How close to like your family were you? Like geograph geographically, did you go to college? two and a half hours yeah. away? Okay, so, so yeah. you're on your own for your first time, not unreasonably far away. Um, did you feel like you were starting to go through this alone, or were they? Did they come and see you? Or I mean, it's a very start. almost as soon as we packed up, there oh, we were packed, unpack, like going back, going okay. home, back home. So and. Again, this everything felt very surreal uh -huh. uh, when the whole diagnosis happened. However, um, no, my parents were super supportive and like coming to get me. And when you were diagnosed, um, you said, "Well, I'm sorry." You said that you were on your way back almost as soon as you got there. Were you already diagnosed when? Mm -mm. Okay, so you're not feeling well. You're getting different recommendations that aren't very helpful, and not feeling yourself. So you head back to. So they figure out that it's cancer oh, at okay. college. Okay, And then it. there was like the more formal diagnosis. I had to go visit a specialist. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. So we okay. went and visited a specialist later. And that's when they start talking like, well, what's the course of treatment? Like, this is very aggressive. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, there had been cases that have uh, proven that people were able to survive long term without a bone marrow transplant. And a bone marrow transplant has, at that point in time, like a 10% mortality rate where you might not survive. So we decided to get the uh, the regular chemo uh, and radiation, brain radiation treatment. 
uh, in hopes that that would take care of things. Okay. So what was it like? I mean, can you tell us the scenario of like when the doctors said that you had cancer? So, yes. So when that, when I got that, that was when we went and saw the specialist where they, they really, I knew it was cancer, but I didn't know to the extent and what mm-hmm. they showed me with like the inside. Oops, sorry. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, it felt like everything was surreal. Like I was part of a movie or like it was like Truman Show where I was like, I'm in this like weird uh, uh, fake narrative. Like what is going on? Like it didn't feel real. And I went and I, I, I felt like I was a guy that was always like looking for symbols or like things from the universe. And mm-hmm. I like – First of all, I guess I should have said I was pissed. <laughs> Probably should have started there. Like, I remember throwing rocks at the building because I was like, fuck you guys. Uh, very angsty. I was a very angsty teenager uh, for some reason. I just felt a lot of internal angst. And I went out and I just like left the hospital by myself, went walking, abandoned my poor mom there at the doctor. Uh, and I remember going like into a Barnes and Noble and like looking up in the cancer books and, uh, it said there like, this is a survivable cancer. Right. And I remember taking that away. Like I had some kind of message sent to me. I did not think that I, I had never thought of the idea that you're 18 ish, you get diagnosed with cancer and you don't have the internet the way we have it today to go and both right. both you know give you information like that but also to make you i mean look when we're sick and we look it up online usually you think you have cancer anyway <laughs> so this would have been the time that would have been possibly helpful you could find support groups you can find uh more information the good and the bad but you're a little more alone at this time in our in so i'm i'm really glad you acknowledged that because that is somewhere where this will this is actually where my story takes uh, takes a, a, a course of its own. And it was because I would go and look for other people that had uh, the same thing I had mm-hmm. okay. through AOL chat rooms. Nice. Uh, well, so when was this, like 2000-ish? 2000. Okay. Yep. And so I would actually go and look for, like, different types of, uh, there were, like, groups where people talked about cancer, and I would try to find individuals that had something I had to get more information and learn about it. Mm-hmm. And I met a few people like, or I started conversations with people through, through America online. And <laughs> it was super weird. There was one that actually a girl from uh, Michigan who uh, we, we started chatting a lot cause we were both younger and um, forged a friendship. And I actually eventually went up and, and met her. Mm-hmm. Nice. But yeah, that, that wasn't as pervasive. So I don't think people remember a time when you just didn't Google everything. Right. Uh, well, you, you know, I, we're going to teach the, some of our listeners probably today about uh, internet forums and aim mm-hmm. instant messenger back then. Um, so when you were diagnosed, you took off, you know, maybe take off, took off is a strong way of putting it, but you needed some alone time. It sounds like, um, yeah. Was- so I, I, I think my whole thing was is that like my my mentality was uh if I'm going if this is going to happen it's not I'm not going to go quietly. Like this is uh a, one of my favorite songs at the time um 
was a Neil Young song where the lyric, I'm trying to remember the name, but the lyric was, it's better to burn out than to fade away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, yeah, we're going to, I'm going to go down in flames if this is going <laughs> to. <laughs> and so I was very loud and wanted, you know, I, I, I felt like I wanted attention and I was going to uh, start videoing everything that happened to me because I was the first person in the world to ever get cancer. And I had a story and I was unique and I wanted to be uh, heard and and noticed and uh, all of those things. So I I began my pilgrimage into uh, filmmaking to try and tell my story, which actually wasn't very super unique, but to me it was. Well, in, in your processing at this point. And, exactly. And you're 18 and you don't know, like you said, there's not the internet. You can't just go, or not the internet in the way it is today. So in a way it is unique because you don't have that shared experience that you can pretty easily go youtube.com and find other people who have done some of the stuff. And when you're 18, like everything is still about you. Yeah. Like you're still the main character in all of your understanding of the world. Yeah. I was pretty cool at 18 as all I know. Yeah, I thought I thought I was too, and I, think, I thought I was fucking awesome. Oh, man, <laughs> you do. Would, it is. This would have been a crew, man. It is so funny. I look at like you know twenty five year olds. I'm like, you guys don't know anything. I'm like eighteen. You are really don't know anything. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, when you when you're eighteen, you think you know everything, without a doubt. And it's the older I get, the more I understand how. Little I understand everything. Like the wealth of knowledge about every topic is so massive. Like the more you understand, the more you realize you really don't understand. And how sure I was that I knew exactly what I was talking about when I was 18. And I think it's because high school itself presents like your world is so limited. Just to understand how that world works was enough to think that that's how everything is. Right. And un- being unable to see beyond that world is what is why you think you know everything because you just are so uh, attuned only to the politics and the dynamics of that little universe. Yeah. And the whole time you have, you know, family, friends, supportive people telling you how you're going to be great and how you're doing wonderful. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I think that's great. But as you grow, at least as I have grown, uh, man, I continue to learn a lot more. I felt like I had family that was telling me, okay, these are things you should be doing. And I'm like, no, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yes, that too. Yeah. So you said that you, if you were going to go, you're going to go down in flames, I think is how you put it, or something similar. I wasn't going to go quietly. I wasn't going to go I quietly. wasn't necessarily like, it wasn't, you know... A, a death wish or me trying to do things that would be putting myself in a bad okay. place per se. I was more like I need to be heard. So did you think that you were going to survive? That's a great question. So I never actually, I would say yes. I never actually thought, about not surviving Mm -hmm. 
even though my behavior would probably say otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> but I always felt like I was going to survive. Um, I don't know. I never thought about the end of what that would that would mean. And now in retrospect, I realize that like I would have thought at that time, like I had li- lived this be you know complete life and so much experience and i always use that as kind of like well hey i'm glad i'm 18 i'm glad i'm not um you know a kid that's should be playing t-ball now and that was what broke my heart is when there were you know childhood cancer uh uh people going through that treatment that that's like medieval and they're they should be enjoying their childhood i felt like i had lived a full life and then i i now i know how wrong i was there's so much more but I felt grateful for that, and I felt like, you know, if I did die, I felt like at least I wasn't, you know, I, I did things. I'm not going to die a virgin, at least. <laughs> Have you ever talked about to your to your parents about how they felt? Like, so this this goes into some some weird places here because okay. uh, as I was going through cancer, my parents were. Uh, as literally after my diagnosis, my parents went through a divorce or started a divorce. Yeah. Okay. So not only was like, I very angsty and, you know, uh, dramatic about the whole cancer thing. I was having a hard time processing, uh, why there was this, you know, disruption of my parents, uh, relationship and, and, and how that affected me, I don't think was, was very good. Uh, at that at that time, I felt yeah. very uh, disturbed by that. That sounds hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, I, that sounds kind of oversimplifying things. to saying sounds hard, but I, I, I can't really imagine it. Were do you think that you were more upset by by the, your diagnosis or your parents relationship ending or do you think it was just kind of compounding and all all one one era of your life at, at this point so i the self-absorption is so high for for an 18 year old or for you know for the, the next couple of years that i was in treatment i i really didn't pay much attention to like what they're going through yeah. i just basically blamed my dad and was like that's that's basically it my mom is an angel and my dad is for for wanting to get a divorce or whatever cause it he is to blame 100 percent, and that's the end of that um so yeah i felt like i i compartmentalized it in a place that i probably didn't really even give it much yeah. attention yeah yeah i mean you said self-absorption but i think a lot of you know, young adults are, are self-absorbed, but for you, I mean, how, I, I, I can't put myself in your shoes. I can't sit here and say that I wouldn't be self-absorbed today if I had cancer. I mean, I, I, I might sit here. I, maybe I wouldn't, maybe I would, but I'm not going to blame anyone who at 18 or 38 or 48, who is you know, kind of oblivious to the outside world when you're sitting there with a, a diagnosis of cancer. And Mike, what stage was it? Stage four. And that was, so how they, they determined the, sta- the stage through x-rays or, or just, c- yeah, the extent or? of, uh, how, how, how bad it is, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I, so I do, I, I did talk 
negatively about my dad in one natural the aspect of the whole divorce situation but i do remember specifically a a time when the doctor came in and said like you know your son has like a 50 percent chance to live and my dad took him out in the hallway and just reamed him for saying that in front of me like like how dare you put like this thought that he's not going to make it like that's we don't talk percentages and i remember having a lot of admiration for my dad in that moment thinking that that was really cool that he he stood up for me Mm -hmm. um but yeah so this whole this whole outreach thing that i mentioned the 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 finding people online i started to go out and i uh i think it was I think it was the employer that I worked for at the time. I, I worked at a barbecue restaurant. I think that he, um, I started talking to different people and uh, decided that I wanted to get a, a video camera. So like I got like a Hi8 video camera donated yeah. to me. And now uh, Hi8 is a old kind of tape. Yes. It's a specialized <laughs> kind of tape just for, that was only used in in like handheld camcorders. Exactly. I wanted to like go out and like interview other people that had cancer, and eventually somehow got an article written in the uh, Courier Journal, which was like the Louisville newspaper. Mm-hmm. And then a guy that I work with like emailed somebody else, and all of a sudden, I was getting connected with uh, a, a famous Hollywood screenwriter. Oh wow! Who was uh fresh off the um uh, a very hot movie at the time called traffic and uh, he was from louisville stephen gagan okay so i got connected with a uh, hollywood director screenwriter and started to correspond with said hollywood Mm -hmm. so the amount of focus on my parents divorce was very little as i'm thinking more about you know I'm a pretty big time yeah. guy. Your, your with, rise to the top. So with it, yeah, it, I mean, are you sitting there thinking more about the fame that this is going to bring you, or I mean, is that is that your escape? So less fame, but like thinking that I have this unique story and and my in this audience and a, a, a vestibule to deliver it. And I again, knowing nothing about actually making a movie or not even being. Uh, necessarily having a story at that point, just the diagnosis. Yeah, I see a lot of parallels between this and Scott's delusions of grandeur and starting a <laughs> podcast. So <laughs> Dan's the one who wanted to start the podcast. Right? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, to to have a connection like that happen at that time felt um, like a weird type of fulfillment, even though nothing had really happened or mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. done anything. Like sounds like another big sign from the universe. Yeah, yeah. It felt like uh, not everybody that gets cancer has you know all of a sudden correspondence with somebody that's actively yeah for sure. Uh, uh, you know, making, I mean, making making Hollywood movies. Right. And, and now you're sitting at my dining room table in front of uh, some mics, so it it did kind of work out. For yeah, us. another step up. Spoiler, <laughs> alert, spoiler alert. This is as far as I've made it. <laughs> um. So the one aspect, so obviously, and this will all come full circle eventually, but the one aspect that was kind of not brought up during this moment or this, this, this diagnosis was the amount of drugs I was on. 
in terms of cancer drugs. Mm -hmm. And the big drug for leukemia is uh, prednisone, which is a corticosteroid. So not a good kind of steroid. And (laughs) I've never done cocaine ever in my life. Okay. But I imagine it to be somewhat like the high from a steroid. Okay. And I wasn't on like a pedestrian amount of steroids. I was on like crazy amounts. Like what if like if they give you normally 10 milligrams and that makes people go crazy. I was on like 150. Wow. Um, so very high ups, very bottom, bottom lows. And within this like whole dynamic I had with this um, filmmaker, uh, it was, you know, hey, do you want to come out to Toronto? I'm making a movie. Like, you could be a part of that. Like, just the, no, I don't want to do that like this. I'm like, I'm really low, like, really manic, like, thoughts and, mm-hmm. and process. But then, you know, thinking about me not having hair and, like, meeting somebody famous. Like, I was, no, I don't want to do that. But then I'd, like, message him at, like, 4 a.m. the next day. Okay, maybe I could think, like, like, just not having any type of sensibility in terms of like who I'm talking to or, or like, could I be bothering? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So that kind of emotional, um, roller coaster, roller coaster is a perfect word was very detrimental to like this good natured person who wanted to reach out to somebody from his hometown with cancer. Right. Who's like, this person is way, way over the edge. I did not want, this is not what I signed up for type thing. Yeah. Um, and I remember like calling him, uh, I had his number and everything. I called him at like a time that was like, didn't consider a California time. It was like, it just was weird. And you have his number now? Let's call I, him. I, I, Let's I, call I, him. He's I, actually behind that door. Yeah. <laughs> but no, so it was one of those things. So then, so this like good thing that was like awesome, cool opportunity thing, I ended up like self-sabotaging it mm-hmm. because I was just. Well, you and the drugs. Like, like sure. let's not understate the yeah, mental and, capacity and, and I that still, you had while you were that pumped up. And I and I, I I think things have changed now. I don't think it's it's quite the same in terms of what people need to do. But like the prednisone is like a miracle drug in so many senses for for leukemia or was. Uh, but again, I would say out of anything like pain wise or like things that I went through that were hard, um, pale in comparison to what this drug did to me mentally. Wow. Yeah. Was this a, a standard treatment or was this part of trying to avoid the bone marrow transplant? Uh, it was part of the standard treatment prior to the bone marrow transplant. Okay. So it's like a, I did like a six month regimen and there's a lot of chemo and then there's, there was brain radiation. Um, so there was both brain radiation for, um, there's like what they, they called, um, sanctuary sites where both your, you could, uh, if you're going to have a relapse, it's going to happen like in your brain or your testicles. So you get brain radiation. They don't give you testicular radiation because, that's like boom you're gonna be zapped you're not gonna be able to have kids and all those things mm-hmm. um so they don't do that for for that reason but i did end up uh at that point in time even though angsty steroidal all of these things mike um they i was talked into um putting a sperm in a bag a sperm a sperm bag whatever mm-hmm. uh not as glamorous a thing uh as you would think like I can you share a little more about that? Yeah, process? I will. This is something people want to know about. But yeah. you, uh, so at this point in time, remember we don't have like internet streaming, very low quality. Right. 
I, I there's a VHS. I go into a little room with a VHS of smut magazines and and VHSs. Put something on. You can hear people so, walking around the so hallway. So this is a medical facility. Medical facility and with you, a little, like a little convertible VHS <laughs> TV, small. Oh, the combo. Oh, the VHS combo. combo. Oh, exactly. It's not even HD at this nope. point. Oh. Nope. Oh, these kids don't even know. But they have. I don't know who donated these <laughs> these videos, but yeah, and you put it on and you jerk off into a cup. This. I'm so happy to know that somewhere there's a line item on a hospital. Like budget that is for smut. Yeah, it was it was super weird, and I didn't want to do it uh, at first. I had not the jerking off part, but the uh, like I don't want to give pass along this D, this shitty DNA to to my next. You know, to why would I do that? Why would I put anybody through what I'm going through? And uh, so I just felt very much like. No, I'm not going to do this. But they're like, you should do it. You have time later to think about it. Just at least before we start drilling you with all this chemo, like do it and have it. Uh, so, so we did. When, when you say that they're saying that, who who is they? The the medical professionals or your parents? Medical professionals. Yeah, I think my parents were pretty much let like let let me figure things out. Yeah. So it wasn't like my mom was like, oh, we need grandkids or anything. Uh, it was medical people. So, they, you know, you should you should really consider doing this because even if you change your mind in the future, you'll have something. Or 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 because they wanted to charge you for it. There you go. And it was not. It's that is not exp- uh, not cheap. By the way, it's very expensive okay. uh, to keep uh, stuff frozen for. Which we think put in the freezer. How hard that is <laughs> very overpriced. Should have just taken it home with me and kept it in. Well, yeah. I mean, you get charged what four bucks for an Advil, so uh, not a surprise. So yeah, so I did that, and again, yes, I eventually did, did that happen. Oh, oh, back up a little. Sure. Did that happen at a hospital? Or did you have to go to a specialized uh, facility for that? Like, there, I think it was a specialized facility. Did you go by yourself, or did like your I mom went by drive myself. you there? Nope, I went by myself. Okay. There was no, definitely no mom involved. <laughs> I just. <laughs> well, did she know when you were going? Like, hey, I, mom, I'm going to. Sure, yeah, I think so, I but can no. Only imagine the car ride home. Hundred percent remember going by myself. Knows exactly what just happened. Yeah, in this month. yeah. Jack she's Jack. not. There's no like walk of shame out from the from the jerk off room into yeah. So <laughs> again. Not fun as as fun as you would think. Yeah. As an eighteen year old, sounds about as fun uh, as I think. I think <laughs> so. Uh, yeah. So fast forward, and then we're gonna get into the good stuff now. Um, about time. Yeah, that's what I'm here. For. You know, I went through I went through treatment for that six month treatment. I went back to college, uh, and f- two years later, when I was I thinking things were, were going pretty well for me um i had a relapse in one of those sanctuary sites which was my testicle okay so at that point in time once once it's back and it was back i had obviously had to have uh an orchiectomy which is having a testicle removed which uh when i was earlier we were saying testes one two i was saying well you were saying i was saying testes one and then scott's like two but no one (laughs) (laughs) i i had no idea mike this whole time i've known you you had one testicle yeah that's true you'd think that would come up so much sooner yeah i'm surprised your wife didn't tell me this 
Oh, truly yeah. not uh, not something that we just shout out. Uh, but yeah, no, I, that's how I had a relapse. Oh, and so that, talk about trauma. You know, I'm at 21 at this point, And, you know, there, I thought I had went through the worst of it. Like this to me, way worse than anything else. Like, so, I, I mean, we skipped ahead. In, I jumped a lot. And in interesting, uh, everything. I'm glad we got to, the, to that part. But like, how long was your treatment? And at the end, were, I mean, were you told you were cancer free? Yeah. Yeah. So I went into remission. Okay. You go into remission kind of quick when with this aggressive treatment. Okay. And, and just because you're in remission doesn't mean you're done with treatment. You continue on sure. with, uh, you know, extensive, the, the six month course, and then you're on maintenance drugs. So it's like a long process. So, but I went into remission and cancer free. Did you have the, the bat bone marrow transplant no. at this time? No. no. So at this point, like I said, they wanted to do like instead of putting you in a situation where you're, you know, could die, we're right. going to do this other thing, and people do survive from it and like are good. Okay. So let's try that. So we did that, um, and they they said the two one or two sanctuary sites. So it okay. came back, and then that's when like you're out of options. Well, when it comes back, is it more dangerous? Like, like my mom had. Uh, I believe it was endometrial cancer. And luckily it was found very early and taking care of surgery, no chemo, anything like that. Um, but she was told, you know, if this comes back, this is going to come back hard. And is it the same for the, the leukemia you had? Was it, does it get riskier if it goes into remission and then comes back later? No, I don't think so. I think it's the, uh you're dealing with the the same devil. It's just that in terms of long-term survival, there's only, at that point, the only option is to to do a bone marrow transplant. It's going to come back at that point. So if it comes back again, or I'm sorry, comes back the first time, is it still stage four? No. Okay. I would say that to that point is no. And so that's a great comment because... There is argument to be had that had I gone into a bone marrow transplant at the time when things were really, really bad, that I wouldn't have had the um, resources to survive in that case. So at this point in time, when I had my relapse, I had been healthy for two years. I felt much stronger. I felt um, very more capable of being able to take on something like the bone marrow transplant. So I felt uh, it could be argued that that saved my life to be able to go through that initial treatment. So your, your, your body might not have been able to take the bone marrow transplant. Correct. So even if it was only a, a delay um, to the inevitable bone marrow transplant, it was worth it. So when you were diagnosed then the second time, when it when it comes back, were I mean I know when you have cancer you you just said the treatment doesn't stop necessarily and you get checked for you know periodically were did you feel sick or no did okay so it was you're so, you're so still going through conversely the first time when I when I sorry to interrupt but conversely the first time when when I got diagnosed it was a relief because I'd felt so sick sure the second time it was more like what is this M M&M size bump on my testicle and like is this happening again and i did not feel 
sick at that time at all. Uh, peanut or regular? Peanut. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and how did it feel when it came, like when it was re-diagnosed? Like, was it, did the anger come back? Were you pissed about it? Or was it like, eh, this is a thing I'm going to take care of. We'll beat this thing again. Felt more of, uh, I'm not happy. Obviously, I'm, I'm not anger. Like, the anger was gone at that point. Like, But it felt more like, can't believe this is happening again. Okay. And then the, the anger about the testicle particularly, forget the cancer, that was at an, a raging high. Wow. Because it was all about, like, the, for a young 21-year-old, like, there's so much of the mascul- masculinity involved in that. And just, like you said, the... the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The uh, one-nut crook. John, you know, everybody knows one-nut crook. John Crook. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anything about that. All right, Former well, I'm just saying... player, baseball announcer. The... the uh, you talk about balls all the time. You know, it's like it's it's not shame, but it's uh, it's embarrassment, or it's like I never thought I would actually talk to people about it, and I really haven't. To as you mentioned, I don't really talk about it, but it's a um, podcast exclusive. Right here. <laughs> there you go. It's just it's one of those things that it kind of um, really challenges your your masculinity. And, yeah. And Does it still? No, not at all. Yeah. And honestly, so that's the best part of like, like you have this idea that it's like everything functions the same. It's right. like, there's a reason you have two. Your other nut I mean, just works really hard. It's about, it's it steps up. It's, yeah. That's like the occasion come rises the occasion, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so it's, it's very much overblown in terms of like the macho talk with guys and all that stuff. So it's, it really affects my life very little. Now I know, I don't know if this is a recent development in human history, but they have like, like you can get your dog prosthetic testicles now. Like, yes. Yeah, so was that a thing then? Was yeah. That an option? No, no, that's like called a nudical. Yeah. Yeah. yeah thank you. Uh, I, so I asked about that and again, it's that that's the young person thinking that that's something that you need. And the doctor's like, you're just opening yourself up to more like potential problems. Like there's, there's no need for that. Yeah, like, well, I've, I've always wondered why you had truck nuts on your car, but it... <laughs> I don't have a truck nor the nuts on the car. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know that if, if, if I could go back and I'm thinking about like everything that I went through, like that was the one thing that I thought was going to be this huge deal. And it's just, just not. Okay. So you get it, it comes back. It's it's roaring back. Um, you have your testicle removed. Uh, what 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 other treatment? I mean, I mean, I know we're leading up to. So this is all. This is all. This is where. And again, this is where the rubber meets the road on this story is because at this point I need a bone marrow uh, transplant, mm-hmm. and there's a ramp up to that, and part of it is testing to see if your uh, sibling is a match or not. Uh, because you know you got the the mom's a a salt shaker, your dad's a pepper shaker. You got to get both of those sprinkled together to get that match. It can't be your parents; it's got to be a sibling. Uh, and my sister was not a match, so then I need to find a match from the you know universal donor list, mm-hmm. uh, which people who have genetic markers that are going to be similar enough to do that bone marrow transplant. Um, so this is very important because people. Uh, can join this list sure. and be a, a bone marrow 
on the on the bone marrow transplant registry and they might think that you need to like do something painful no you just it's a blood test they can they can find the genetic markers mm-hmm. in in the blood uh, so i highly encourage if there's ever an opportunity for people to to join that to do so how how, how would they go about doing that uh, a lot of times there's bone marrow drives, blood drives for that. And it's like an expensive thing to do actually. So it's like there, you got to look for windows or people that are doing it or hosting one or, or to be involved in. Cause if I wanted to just say, Hey, I'm going to do a, a blood bone marrow drive or something, it's, it's costly. It's uh interesting. Okay. Or you need to be able to bring a certain amount of people to the table. Okay. So just, so just to be clear, to sorry anyone, to getting jumped off. No, 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 no. I, I, I wanted to ask that. And just, just to be clear, when you're saying it's expensive, you mean it's expensive to put on an event. Yes. It's not expensive for me, Scott, to go in and say, I want to be tested. Because so, is that what it is? Do they just test it? Or is it more like blood where they actually take and keep sam- uh, keep some? I, I, I at, literally have no idea at how this risk, works. At risk of sharing outdated data. Okay. That's, which is potentially okay. true. Because, again, it's been a while. Sure. It costs you money. If you wanted to go in and say, I wanted to join, it costs you like $75 or something like that. Okay. So you look for opportunities to when people are having these blood drives where Got it won't it. cost you anything. Got it. Cool. Okay. Hey, we'll, we'll find some info. And put we'll that figure this out. Okay, together. But that's a big, big takeaway is yeah. there's a lot of people you can help because I ended up having a matched unrelated donor. And that's why I'm here today. Somebody was in that position to uh, join this registry. And that's ex- that's the only reason I'm alive today. It's mm-hmm. awesome. They are not behind the door. <laughs> Funny story to note. Yeah. And I've, if this has happened in a, a crime scene show, I have not seen it. But I think I think I did hear that there, there might have happened. So You think you might have heard that it might have happened? Somebody, I don't know. I felt like I, I said this once before. I'm like, oh, that's happened. I'm like, I don't, I'm, okay, I'll take your word for it. Okay, so listeners, take it with a grain of salt. I originally had a match who was paired up all set to go. They said, nobody ever backs out. And my match was a female. And if they would have gone through, they ended up backing out, which never happens. But they, if we would have gone through my genetic markers would say I'm female in terms of a blood test, (laughs) even though I'm not. So, so in Florida, you might have some real legal liability over where you could use the restroom. That or if I were ever involved in any type of crime, they would be looking for, <laughs> I would be never, they would never think that it could be me. Yeah, because it's, it's blood, it's, it's blood type. It's a blood marker, it, yeah. I mean, okay. It wouldn't affect my gender in any other way except for this little sure. marker. And the person ended up backing out and I ended up getting another one. And so I'm still all so you still have I can't, to live I can't a, commit any crimes right, still have to live in, as an upstanding citizen <laughs> a, i was going to totally turn into a life of crime all right all right so it, it, we are not therapists and he's not a medical professional so look this up before you go telling this is true though it is true i oh, know that I, uh, oh i'm sorry i thought you said that it was that you weren't sure no i don't know if it's happened in an episode Oh, I don't okay. know if I don't know I, if there's ever been a CSI. That makes a lot more sense. I'm thinking that we're th- throwing shit out there that is like Mike saying eh, maybe this possibly could happen. I don't That's know. just my inability to like can <laughs> tell a story. I think uh, it's more Scott's inability to like comprehend yeah, the story. No, I, I just thought her quality. Yeah, no, was, I just don't know if it's been done back. in a Hollywood or like a, okay. a television production. 
Okay. Well, that's probably not important. Um, so when you realize that you need a bone marrow transplant, your sibling tests and is not a match, then what happens next? How, how- so like I said, they had gone through all, they, they have like a, a donor registry and they're looking for all these DNA markers and they, you know, they found a match. That okay. match ended up... So it's backing a, out, which was a bad thing because we want to get this done sure, as soon right. as possible. But then we get another one, thankfully. Um, and then it's to the point where you're scheduling and it's, it's all a, a bone marrow transplant is, is you're getting high dosage of chemotherapy and radiation so that all of your immune system, including the cancer cells, are killed. And that's why it's dangerous and or you could die is because your body doesn't have the ability to fight off any infections or, uh, or bacteria or, or, you know, you have no immune system. Mm-hmm. So all they do, it's a, they, uh, you go through the chemo or for, for, for me, at least I went through, um, full body radiation, uh, large doses of chemotherapy. And then you're, you're in a, uh, secluded unit for this to stay away from any type of outer uh, <laughs> outer type of I'm talking my hands so that's what happens outer type of uh, outside uh, germs or bacteria and then um, they give you when you're at the lowest point they give you a blood transfusion of the healthy donors blood mm-hmm. and then or stem cells as you could say uh, and that those that blood filters through and then proliferates and starts regrowing and regenerating in your body, hopefully with minimal um, uh, adverse reactions, like which like because it's it, your body is going to fight against it, seeing it as foreign. But hopefully, it's similar enough where it will take and proliferate your prolif- exactly and your, start growing uh, as system. your as your own. Yeah, so uh, that's there's one of the major things from bone marrow transplants is graft versus host disease and graft versus host disease. And that's where you have bad reactions from your body rejecting the, the newfound, uh, organ or, uh, uh, donor, donor blood mm-hmm. or stem cells. Yeah. So when you're going through radiation and chemo and they're, I, I mean, you're just, are you just completely isolated? So I stayed on a, a, a bone marrow transplant unit uh, is uh, probably around. I mean, I made my way around like the unit itself. I would say maybe thirty people. Okay. Thirty thirty beds, thirty rooms. Are these so? Are, these are other patients. The other patients where they're in again. There's like a door, and then there's a middle area, and then there's another door. So it's like you can't just come in. You need yeah. to, yeah. As a, when when we would transport uh, as a paramedic long ago, when we would transport somebody from uh, an area like that, like you'd have to get a gown on, you'd have to get a mask on um, before you walked in the door. Mm-hmm. The doors were locked, uh, so. It would limit the amount of people that would come in. Um, and then whenever we would bring a patient out of that, they had to be in full gown mask before they went outside of that ward to go anywhere else. Exactly. Were your parents allowed in? or any Yeah. So obviously when they're, you know, parents are going to be masked up and everything. But yeah, they're, 
allowed to be a, a part of it, at least for the most majority. Um, How long were you there? I was in the hospital f- from September 30th to, I want to say, uh, December 30th or 31st. I was released from the hospital not because I was better and ready like to go thrive on the outside world because I was like going insane because it was such a small confined space like it was I needed to get out or I was like going crazy that was like 90 days it was yeah Yeah. so it was I had to get out and so they had uh but we rented a oh like a small apartment me and my mom and my mom stayed with me to be a caretaker and obviously steroids are a big part of this going crazy again steroids more more craziness um they gave us like equipment to take home but i just needed to get out of there i was going nuts uh just because it just felt like prison so they determined that the the potential physical risks might have been less than the mental health yeah, I think I think I had this one doctor, or I know I there's one doctor particularly. Um, she's I think she said, well, he's going to be it's okay enough to let him do let let him go, and I think it's going to be better for him to to leave at this point. So did you have to stay in this apartment though? Yeah, stayed mostly in the apartment, very limited out outer exposure. But I had been through like over the like, the hump, so to speak, yeah. of the risks i had been multiple like i said well what did months. It, what did it feel like stepping out i mean was it excitement or a relief or just God, i'm so you know just I, relief I mean, okay and you know i had i had glossed over the fact that the second second act or the second part of the whole cancer thing was like me picking back up with my hi8 camera and trying to like document the yeah. bone marrow transplant and holy god i got met with so many people that didn't want anything for me to do with it like i'm like oh what are all these documentaries i see where people are like get free access and every like every nobody wanted to be on camera everybody was talking about hipaa laws and just like nobody wanted to like support this idea that i had uh but it didn't stop me from like doing what it, like you know trying to keep camera focused on myself and my my story and it's it's funny that i it i have the footage uh and i've never watched it is that is that is that the dvd that's the dvd i brought today you did bring i it. I, have, I i ended up getting all the high eights later in life i had all the high eights converted to dvds and i've never watched them yeah. i do know that it's terrible content though <laughs> for sure <laughs> that is not that is not question and, and and you know what the best part about it was is that my preoccupation with doing this and making this vi- making these videos I spent all my time thinking about that and not about dying and not about thinking about the cancer. And that distraction could have potentially saved my life. I was going to say, that might be more valuable than any other thing that oh, you could for have sure. done with that video. For sure. Yeah. I mean, not not making it to the point where it's on a you know an HBO series or, <laughs> or coming into a, a movie made about my life. Just that act of, of, of being busy yeah through that period of time um gave me something to hope for something to strive for uh 
and and really did probably uh, make a huge difference, I think. And I I didn't go into it thinking that, but now I'm looking back at it. Like, the fact that I've never done anything with these tapes doesn't really matter to me uh, because it that I'm here. Uh, but that was, that was it. And, um, I got out and again, I was crazy and it was a tough time for my family. And, uh, my, my, my mom who stayed, my mom was like the most amazing caregiver. My dad was also around. He did get remarried while I was in the hospital during the bone marrow transplant. Wow. Yes. There was a time when I was not happy about that. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything has been settled and is good. My mom is happy. My dad is happy. Everybody's happy. Uh, family, family is good. Uh, there's no hard feelings anymore. But it was a tough time to be uh, uh, in the hospital and thinking that your dad's getting remarried and you're not there. I believe that. Yeah, I believe that. <laughs> there, there's a lot to dive into. Later. Yeah, there's un. un- I don't think we're going to. No, not point. today. Um, so they, I mean, they, they let you out. And when you say they let you out, this was, you said you were over the hump. Does that mean that that was after the transplant? Yes. Yeah, sure, so, okay. so like I'm saying, so, you know, the transplant itself or whatever, the day zero was September 30th. Oh, okay. It was, I'm sorry. I thought that. That's what they call it, day zero, too. Then the day one, two, three. Yeah. You're starting a new life, essentially. Okay. So you get to 90 days. They let you out. You're not in great shape. No. But it's the best thing for you at that time. Yes. At what point do they declare, like, you're cancer-free? I mean, are you already cancer-free at this point and just recovering? Or are there still testing and is there still unsure of the results? So at that point, I'm still, you know, I've got a Hick- catheter, you know, Hickman catheter, yeah, yeah. and there's like things, there's drugs I need to take intravenously. And that's a, that's a port on your a chest. A port on my chest, right. As so I have a catheter in and, a, yeah, not, uh, yes. To give you medication exactly. close to your heart. Making the blood, uh, uh, take, make the blood t- uh, draws easier got and it. giving you the medicine easier. Yep. So I have, uh, you know, this on my, on my chest and it just... Everything continued like I was in the hospital at home for a while until I reached a point where I'd done all the different courses and it's okay to move on to the next step. So I don't know in terms of when they say I'm cancer free at that point, but at, I just know that there was like continued, we continued on the, the course from this apartment mm-hmm. and, uh, Again, the 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 effects of the steroids were the worst part for me, just in terms of my mental like capacity. Sure. Was there a point when you were like, "I beat this"? Quite honestly, there was a point where I said, in the, the first time in my entire dealing with cancer, where I said, "I give up," and there was a time where I said. I don't have anything left. Of, I don't have any more to fight. I don't have anything left to give. And I just prayed that I would, would, would survive because I felt like I had nothing left. And that was probably, that was before the January when I got out or, you know, the end of December when I got out. It was somewhere, I went from feeling like a million bucks going into the, the treatment, thinking I can do this. I've got my camera. We're going to be fine. And to, at some point within the next 60 days, I felt just 
gone. Wow. And, uh, yeah, I felt like I was not in a good place. And I finally was like, I can't, I don't know if I can make it. And then I did survive and went, uh, continued on my way of, of trying to, uh, get more attention. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I wrote, uh, Chipotle. Uh, (laughs) I wrote them and I said, you know, it's Thanksgiving and I haven't eaten real food in several weeks because I'm on this prenatal nutrition thing where I'm getting my food through the IV. And I said, you know, it'd be really cool if I could get some burritos. Uh, Cause I'm, I'm like going to be able to eat at some point pretty soon. And is this a physical letter at this point or is the internet an email? Okay. This, uh, this is an email. Yeah. 2003. Oh, right. So yeah. yeah, we got e- email was around for emails time, around. So. Okay. Uh, emailed and, and the news came out because I'm, you know, feel good news story. And they gave me like a, a deck of playing cards with uh, each one was a free burrito, like 52 burritos. And, uh, was it, no, you say it like, like a deck of play or was it playing no, cards? An actual deck of playing cards, except. Oh, I need pictures. Do you have pictures? I have the one card left. Okay. One free burrito. Let's go get a burrito. It wasn't actually like, you can't play cards with these, but they were formed like a deck of cards okay. and each one was a free burrito so more like baseball cards or a pokemon deck no more like playing cards but without you can't play cards because each one's a free burrito it's not like you got ace two three it's just one free burrito on every card so you're gonna give out 52 cards package it like a deck of cards make them all coupons was each coupon unique or different or they each all one was one free burrito and <laughs> they gave they me look different like if i looked at two two different coupons would they look the same yes they're identical it's okay. playing cards That's that what, are identical okay when you said they were when i playing cards i thought you meant that they literally had a two and a three and a four so it's I a feel deck. Like if you're gonna pack them as a deck a deck well, of free really, and, and that's why i said more like baseball cards because you don't play baseball cards they're just pictures right no it's a it's a deck that looks like playing cards except every single one's <laughs> one free burrito okay so you got 52 burritos did mm-hmm. you eat all of the burritos so here's the 51. thing this is where, and I hope this, if we can find this one, this would be great. Okay. So I got so fucking pissed off because <laughs> I hadn't eaten in a long time. And like the idea of getting like a burrito would be just like mind-blowingly great. It's Thanksgiving. I'm trying to hand out these free burrito cards around the hospital. And there's people that did, are declining me. <laughs> a, a, can, a, a bone marrow transfer, transplant patient trying to give out free burritos. And they're like, no, we're good. <laughs> and I'm like, you motherfucker, I haven't eaten in a goddamn month, and you are like, I don't feel like a burrito. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> so do you still like... So I got this on camera of me just th- going ape shit about people <laughs> de- declining my burritos. <laughs> Like, that's I was a very angsty person. It sounds like, like it. Did, so, uh, how do you feel about Chipotle today? So, the best part was, is I, I actually liked Qdoba better, <laughs> but they didn't have Qdobas in okay. the city I was in. So, Chipotle right. was the uh, the backup. Now, was Chipotle just like? But I loved Qdoba. I loved <laughs> Qdoba. Like Chipotle was just like, here, kid. Here's fifty two free burritos. Leave us alone. Or were they trying to? Was it? Was there some kind of? So here's the best part: 
is I have this. They gave me a certificate that said like Master Burrito Ambassador, <laughs> and it was framed, a framed certificate. And I have that hanging up at my work right now. <laughs> and I, Can you send us a picture of that? And I occasionally get comments on it, and then I just make oh, something fuck. up. I don't really tell them like the real story. <laughs> I just say I like I'm like really really like burritos. I mean, all of this sounds worth it, except the cancer part. No, so, this. <laughs> I'm willing to say on Mike's behalf that cancer was totally worth it to be a master burrito ambassador. You, you, you got a good story. You got a certificate. You got a deck of cards that you can't play. What more? I mean, you yeah. got the, you've, you've reached the pinnacle of burrito ambassadory. I, it's pretty cool, I gotta say. And, and now but, you're on a podcast. But I looked it up recently. Like when I got, you know, I started a new job and I thought, like, well, everybody else has these certificates hanging up, but I only got a burrito ambassador certificate. So I decided, hey, I'm gonna hang it up in my cube. And I looked it up and I was like, it, it was a thing they did. And the only other person that I've seen that has like the certificate was like a relief pitcher in the Major League Baseball. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know why that's the only one that's Googleable. Yeah. But oh, I was like, okay, should... well, we're in good company. I, I think you need to start a, a, a Reddit for that. Yeah. Are there any other burrito ambassadors <laughs> yeah. out there? And how did you get dubbed so? Well, yeah. I think to bring a full circle, it needs to be on AOL, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So the AOL chat rooms, yeah, that was crazy. Yeah. <clears throat> and there's people, like I said, that uh, we don't really necessarily talk today. But, um, but yeah, that was – there's the modern-day uh, Immerman's Angels, which is a, a – a, uh, charity that I support and part of where they're they uh, one-to-one cancer uh, mentorship for people that are like you have the similar mm-hmm. uh, cancer diagnosis is to give you that support that didn't exist before right and that's what I was looking for where is that camaraderie or that match yeah. of, of who can I talk to that actually understands what I'm going through yeah and I, I know I've attended events that you've thrown on on behalf of a charity for uh, it's what organization uh, Leukemia Research Foundation mm-hmm. is is one of the ones that we've been supporting, and I did a lot of different events to uh, try to get more attention awareness about uh, leukemia and, and ways to join the, the bone marrow okay. uh, registry. And I would say this brings us to the positive parts of our story. Yeah, it's where, all been smooth sailing since. Yeah, no, uh, well, I, <laughs> so I've been very always cautious. I don't call myself a survivor i hate that word actually i think that it's like there's just so much you can't control and for the people that don't make it it's not like they've lost or you know i hate i hate hearing oh they lost their battle with cancer they didn't they didn't do anything different than what i did i'm just happened to be here still (laughs) so different set of dice yeah it's not that i'm special or they weren't or they didn't fight hard enough so i hate the win-loss thing and i don't consider myself uh necessary i feel grateful that i'm i'm here obviously uh but i don't like to say oh i'm a survivor and if i do it would only be around other other cancer survivors where we're like shared um in that experience I don't like talk about it to people that have not gone through it. But yeah, it's a it's 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 a great feeling to be on the other side where you feel like you can be um, a mentor or being part of it. And I feel like I've compartmentalized it certainly in a way where I'm not doing that as much as I should because it was a darker time. And then now talking about it and opening this up and these these stories that I've haven't told anybody in a really long time. You know, it makes me want to get more involved and 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 
see if there's other people dealing with, with things that I could potentially be helpful with. Yeah. And Mike, you know, we're grateful you came through on the other side as well. I, we've known each other for about a decade now. And I'll, I'll tell you my first impression of you <laughs> might not have been as positive as, as the impressions I have of you today. Um, I thought you were, uh, rambling uh a little bit of an idiot but <laughs> well yeah i was probably drinking then as well, well and that, I, that did didn't help much I, I wasn't trying to dive into that but you know i i've quickly learned that there are people in this world who you know as you said earlier young mike was trying too hard um but you know after i got past the the start of meeting you and i remember <laughs> i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say the things that that you might have said at that time that rubbed me the wrong way but within you know a couple of months i realized you're a pretty genuine dude and you know. well thanks scott that was a nice backhanded <laughs> well, compliment i love the backhanded i, I, I do still compliments mike i don't remember my first impressions of you but i could tell you that you are one of my favorite people um <laughs> That, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, much like a brother, like, I don't know if there's many other people that have driven me nuts yes. to the pinnacle that you're capable of, but I love you in a brotherly way, and, like, I would not trade any of the nuts that you drive me. Like, <laughs> nut. I was, I, if you but, weren't going to do it, I was going to do it. But no, no, you love are, a good pun. <laughs> you are a hustler. You bring people together more than anyone else I know. That's the, that's the um, truth. And yeah, you've created a hell of a community here in in Chicago, and uh, I feel fortunate that I get to be uh, a part of it um, as often as I do, and it's not as much as I would like. So I've done <laughs> some incredibly stupid thing. I, I've I've definitely like I, I reflect upon at, at no point in my life, whether I was eighteen with cancer or whether I was past cancer, at no point in my life is like God, you know. Never in my like in the moment, I'm like God, I'm I'm stupid. <laughs> but I look back now and like, what the fuck were you doing on all these occasions? Like, and do you have one like, story? Uh, you don't have to. I, I you don't have to. No, it's just again a lot. That's a lot of my coping with trying to be normal involved drinking and okay. like, those a lot all my what the fuck stories are all about drinking right. which if you want to go listen to uh, uh any of the the other podcasts that i that you did recently that can tell you all you need to know uh in a in a in a more extreme sense to some degree but i'm just saying like the whole you're, you're saying episode three with bill episode three with bill is what i was trying to say the 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 coping mechanism for me a lot of times to feel normal after cancer was to go out and drink with everybody. And I obviously my body and all the things that I've gone through didn't handle that in a normal way and led me into a lot of uh, precarious situations, yeah. some of which were hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> my dad still tells stories to this day. Uh, I'll tell you a story. Uh, well, this I don't even know if I was drunk this time, but uh, there was a story. Well, one time I was new to Chicago, and I had a, a girl, uh, a girl that I had met He's on some quotes. kind of online 
dating uh, thing, and people at work told me to take her to the signature room, which I had oh, never even oh, yeah. heard of. But it's like a place that you go to propose. And this is our <laughs> our first, first date. And um, again, this doesn't really involve drinking. This is just stupidity. But um, first of all, I had no idea what I was getting into. I didn't understand what this place was. I just said, oh, people at work told me. First of all, it's freezing. It's winter. Uh, I have, I don't have hair, so this girl is like walking really slow, and I'm like, we gotta go. Like, let's go. And I'm like walking thirty paces in front of her, um, the whole time to get there. And then I get there and I see what the menu looks like and the 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 cost. And but I swallow my pride. I'm I'm a, I'm a gentleman. I pay for the bill. But then I get out and we leave and I see what parking costs. And I'm like, well, can you at least like, <laughs> it's like a Larry David episode where I was like, like, look at, uh, you know, I got you this. So do you think, do you think you could cover parking? And uh, she didn't, that was like, that we never didn't talk to that person again uh, after that. It was the fir- first date signature room trying to get her to pay for parking. Uh, uh, that's just- such a Mike story. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, so I wasn't drunk for that one. That, that was I, 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 I wasn't even asking for drunk stories. I just wanted a yeah, story. That was us. And story. you delivered. Thank you. There's worse, but we'll so keep I, them. Back to the positive. Would you? The great story. So, so I, I want to. Yes, I, I think you're going where I wanted to go. I told my wife I'm coming on this podcast, and she she said it's called positively terrible. What's your positive part? Like, are you fucking cur- serious? <laughs> she had no idea what like what what's the positive? I'm like one, you know, hey, I'm alive. Two, uh, we have a child a that was created through science based on me jerking off in a room when I was 18. That's pretty positive. And she's like, oh yeah, I guess you're right. Oh, thanks. So so the sperm came in handy. Sperm came in handy, and holy God, I'm glad that uh, I have a son who I consider to be the best thing that's ever happened to me. Awesome. And he's only 15 months old, but it's already just the whole uh, light of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I can't wait for him to uh, get to the point where he's more of a human and, and can talk to him and uh, steer him down a... A lane that is slightly different from maybe some of the things that I did, and then have him reject those ideas right. and, do, and, and do, ultimately disappoint. Him. Ultimately, dis- <laughs> we we just hope he takes after his mom, both looks or, and personality. Or, or we're gonna try. We're gonna try. Uh, appreciate you coming on today, Mike. Um, Very much so. You know, Absolutely. Like I said, I've known- as as I have more questions, like as a listener of things that bother me, I'll I'll mention it. Like I said, <laughs> if we can stop user or guests like myself from rambling for the first fifteen minutes, that will probably help. <laughs> yeah. Well. Oh. 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 Also, before I wrap up, uh, you had a new use for this podcast. So our our child is is teething. Uh, he's got molars. He has problems sleeping. Uh, and it, my wife and I are just at our wits end. We don't know what to do. Uh, and I just so happen to be listening to the Positively Terrible podcast. And 
this kid was out in five seconds. He just boom. Tried everything else. Here we, we tried. Through all we the... tried everything. Drugs, <laughs> Tylenol, Motrin, whatever. But you know, he's waking up all the time, and yeah. you know, we put on the positively terrible podcast, and yeah. and he's he's just sleeping. The Scott's voice <laughs> is just nothing is more soothing to this child. If you have a child at home that's having problems sleeping, I highly suggest positively terrible the first 15 minutes of babbling you don't even need it (laughs) (laughs) all right there you have it folks this has been a great episode thank you mike appreciate you coming on i've known you for a decade now and i think this is the first time we've dived in 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 this manner um you know you said it doesn't happen yeah i don't really do i don't really do the whole thing and it's not that i i wouldn't be comfortable sharing it it's just you know like i said this is a, a an opportunity that you set this example going forward of sharing things that maybe you wouldn't normally share and making it a comfortable space to do so. So I thank you for opening up that channel. That's very sweet. I I thank you, Mike. I I am humbled by the compliment and I'm humbled by you being here today. Um, Honored that you'll tell your story. And I think we're doing some good in the world. At least I hope we are. Maybe it's only a few people, but it's been a, a pleasure speaking to with all our guests, but one of the other things that I like so much about this is getting to know people who I've known for a long time a little bit better. So um, thank you. And as always, it's been absolutely, positively terrible. I met you back at Tonica's fest. I confess I was nervous and stressed because I thought you were the best. I was right. And that night we got into a Positively Terrible is a part of the Terrible Podcast Network.